0: On this week's episode, we have... Hayato. Hey, what's his last name? Hori. Hayato Hori. Hayato Hori? Hiata Hori. Hiata Hori. Hiata. We have Hayato Hori. He's a young buck phenom from California. You know what he does? Uh, fix and flips, right? Nope. He wholesales 20 to 25 properties a, a month. In Ohio, okay, Tennessee, okay. in the Midwest from his computer. California. in, Cali- wow. in california. Wow. california he's living it up it's 75 and sunny every day the girls are hot and the deals are flowing check it out check it out Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kid welcome back to another episode of smells like cat Pea with handsome we're going virtual tonight we got a man young hustler from the west side super pumped we got introduced by a mutual friend he's a wholesaler 25 years old into rentals wholesaling across the country in california but getting it done all over the midwest and doing huge volume 15 to 25 properties a month which is absolutely insane rocket offer is the name of the company he's been in business for one year and nine months landlord wholesaler. Before that, just to get into the game, he was flipping stuff on Amazon, whatever it takes. Love the diehard attitude. He's got a great head of hair. I'm jealous on that. With that, let me introduce Hayatu Hori. Thank you so much for having me, Charles.
1: appreciate
0: it. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time, man. I really, I really appreciate it, man. I love, uh, I love doing stuff like this because I guess you're probably in the same boat you're in your business. And sometimes you feel like you're in your own little bubble of a world. Meanwhile, like I'm in New York, I feel like New York is its own planet, but there's so many people out there across the country like yourself doing huge, huge business, you at a very young age. So um, just for people, people that are out there that are watching right now, I'm going to be watching later on, like 90 second kind of overview about your journey, who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive into it
1: yeah that's great um, so when we first initially started i actually had no idea about anything real estate related i was never in the real estate industry i was you know in college i was also trying to figure out what i wanted to do with my life i know i wanted to start a business started a bunch of those like you said i started selling stuff on ebay amazon doing all the retail stuff and those are all good but I knew that there could be more. And so I actually got connected to someone called Antoine. He was actually my roommate at that time. And yep. he started his turnkey business and I saw how much that grew. And so I was like, hey, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing? And he was saying, it's hard to find good deals and it's always hard to find good deals. So if you're able to present that and bring some value to the investors, you'll always, always win. and that's kind of how we got started. And I was like, okay, let me try this. Let me see uh, if I can provide some deals to you then. And would you buy them? He's like, yeah, I'll buy them if if you had the deals. And so he was doing things in the Midwest. And that's kind of why we also started in the Midwest. But the more and more we started doing deals in the Midwest market, the more we saw investors in California, that's where I live, yeah. come up to us and they're like, man, how the hell are you guys buying properties at like 30 $50,000 where in California, it's like almost a million, you know, and you can't yeah. buy property. A lot of people can't afford to invest in real estate here because it's so expensive, but they do have 50, 60, $70,000 saved up and they want cash flow or they want to fix and flip their first property. And so our goal then became to help those people grow their portfolio um, and have off-market deals that, you know, they don't have to look at MLS for so that's kind of how we've got started in the beginning we started doing you know zero to one deal a month it took about um, 90 days for us to do our very very first deal wow there yeah things started picking up really really quickly a year and nine months later we're doing about 15 to 20 deals a month like you said
0: I mean that's crazy so just to touch on California for a minute I kind of feel like New York and California are very similar places in the sense that it's super competitive, prices are crazy, taxes are very high, it's just a very, very difficult market. And Mm -hmm. I hear very often, like from Antoine and other people, that investors are just, they they love living in California, but they just can't do business in California.
1: I know. I mean, I would love to, right? I would love to do the flips here and then put a million in three and then get, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars out of my flip. But... It's just not realistic for most people. They're just not gonna be able to do it. And on top of that, like if you had a rental property here, I know during this pandemic and this COVID season, I guess you can call it, um, California is not a landlord friendly state. So no. if you had a tenant and you know, you're know you trying to deal with them, if they don't wanna leave, they didn't have to. And it's a lot harder in these states where it is landlord or it is a uh, tenant friendly, uh, not landlord friendly, sorry. If it's tenant friendly, it's really hard to deal with properties. And on top of that, you have a bunch of permits that you need to get in California and whatnot. Yeah. So it's just difficult to get into the game overall in California.
0: Yeah, it sounds very, very similar to New York. The more I, the more I talk to people about it, now you bring up the permitting aspect of it. In New York, mm-hmm. it's very difficult. It's like over 11 months to run the full cycle on a permit. Yeah. It's It's very, very, very hard. So I guess I'm, I'm 41 years old. You're 25. So I don't know if it's... Uh, if it's a generational thing. But for me, when I think of doing everything like virtually, like you're in California, yeah. not seeing anything, doing business across the country in a place that you, you might not have ever even been. <laughs> yep. So talk about what the experience is. Cause there's a lot of people out there with limiting beliefs in general, but mm-hmm. again, you're living in California. You know, what part of California are you in? I'm in LA. Okay. So I, I lived uh, out in California for a short period of time. LA is a beautiful you. place. You're enjoying the life. <laughs> but you're doing deals in Michigan. Where else were you saying? Uh, Cleveland, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri as well. So how does that whole thing get started? How do you build the team, wrap your head around? Because you don't, you don't get to see these. You don't have, you're not there personally boots on the ground every day. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think the most important aspect is having good partnership and those boots on the ground for you. So for me, I really value the partnerships that we have in the booth, in in those areas. For example, we work with a tech company, uh, they're called Inspectify. They do all the inspections for us and we very, we very much value, uh, you know, everything that they do for us. Another thing that we also do is we connect with property managers in the area, real estate agents, you know, and we, we try to build a relationship so that if we need something done, they can go ahead and make those things happen for us. And so I also don't think that doing things virtually is that much different from doing something that's right next door. Because even if I were to go into the next property, if I wanted a property, let's say two minutes away from here, I would still have to send in an inspector. I would still have to send in a contractor to get me a bid. I would still get a property manager to manage my property because I want to free up my time and then have them manage the entire thing. So for me, it's not that much different. And I think investing in out of state real estate, even if you don't see the property, you have these experts kind of doing all the hard work for you and you're really relying on their expertise. And I do trust the people that I work with. And so I think that's really, really valuable. And that's how I'm able to do everything virtually and kind of keep you know, a calm sense of mind, I guess.
0: So talk about the vetting process of how you build your team, because I have a lot of people that come to me and they say, you know, what do you think about investing out of state in other areas? And I'm like, it's great, but there's a process that you need to build the team. And everyone's like, oh, well, I had a horror story about a property manager, this or that, you know, talk about your, your experiences and, and how you went about, you know, building your team and kind of like the bumps and bruises that go along with that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think for us, we're really glad we're really, I guess, privileged because we speak with a lot of investors. As a wholesale real estate company, we sell a bunch of properties to investors like Antoine from Martel Turnkey from big institutional investors as well. And some people who have, you know, hundreds of rental properties under their belt in that market. So we have the privilege of asking them, hey, what kind of property managers do you guys use? What kind of contractors do you guys use? What insurance company do you guys use? And from there, we're able to extract that information and we're like, okay, so it seems like everyone likes going with this property management company they must be good we should work with them oh this person is really really good it's really a referral um based system that we created because then that way they've done the vetting for us and if we hear the name multiple times we know okay this person or this company must be really good
0: no that makes uh that makes sense talk to me is talk to me about just like you know the the personalities of dealing out of the area like New York, again, similar to California, everybody thinks you're like trying to get over. It's very, very, very hard to to do anything. You know, what is it like getting service from these people? What is it like interacting with the sellers? Are they open? Is it easier to have these types of conversations? Um, Tell me. Yeah.
1: So I would say the sellers are probably the toughest kind of nut to crack just because they like people from that region and they don't like others coming in necessarily oh really yeah and so at least in the areas that we work with so a lot of times um they're like oh like i want to work with someone local i want to meet that person and so in that in those cases that's when our partnerships with like real estate agents really help because we would be like hey can you go ahead and talk to this person and get them to sign this contract because at that point we already have negotiated the price they just want to meet someone locally to, to know that okay that person is one Real. And second of all, they want to, they do like people that are local. So I think that is always an edge that people have if you are local, but you can always have a team, I think, that is local to the boots on the ground there and then have them kind of go out and do the work there for you too.
0: So most of these, it sounds like the overall majority of these properties are are rental properties. Is that correct? Or they're going to end up being rentals, they're purchased to be rentals
1: so it it really depends on what our investors would like to do with them some of them are fix and flips some of them are rentals some investors come up to us and say hey i want to borrow this property and so it really depends on the investor that that comes up to us Uh, Mm -hmm. but we try to give them all the options that they possibly need to make a decision and so something that we do that not a lot of i guess wholesalers do and i don't really like using the term wholesalers because it doesn't have a good name and yeah. so it really doesn't. But, <laughs> and so I'm trying to change that and show people that or show our investors that we do it right. And so something that we do is we do inspections, like I mentioned, on every single property. So our investors get a full transparent view of the smart. property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they also get property pictures and there's a walkthrough video there as well. And there's also repair estimates that the inspector gives us, which is a third party certified inspector and so i'm not the one saying this is twenty thousand dollars worth of rehab that inspector is giving his or her own idea of what the repair might be and then we're literally just giving it to our investors and saying hey here is a transparent view of the property would you like it or not we suggest that the arv is this much we think that the comps are these and we think that you can rent them out for this much if you do this much work so we do all of it um and we always ask our investors to do their own due diligence obviously but we do whatever we can on in our power to come up with estimates and kind of present a deal in front of their face and say this is a good deal
0: no that i mean very smart man you you want to make it easy for for people to buy really right you want to set it all up so that it makes sense all their questions are answered and it's easy for them to say yes and and pull the trigger um, I'm curious to know. So if a lot of the, if some of these end up becoming rentals and you have realtors that are actually out there, mm-hmm. two things that would come to mind to me, which is, I mean, it's kind of sad that I think about this, but mm-hmm. if you're sending a realtor over there and the realtor. So in New York, a lot of age, I get most of my deals through agents. I know thousands of realtors through my social media and networking platforms and all that kind of stuff. So I always give the deals back to the agents. That's why they come to work with me. That's one of the mm-hmm. reasons or probably the biggest reason, 80%. So if you're sending an agent out there to try and get a contract signed, but they're not necessarily gonna be able to get the listing because it's either a rental or the the buyer who's not ultimately you is might have somebody else in mind. How do you make sure that you don't get a deal stolen from you or you know that they have your best interest in mind?
1: Yeah, that's always a tough one. I mean, we've gladly like never had to encounter that. Uh with our real estate agents or who we work with, uh, most of the time, obviously, we try to do as much as we can to sign everything digitally. So we, I would say, ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of all the contracts that we've sent out are all signed digitally. Mm-hmm. I sign them on my phone. It's tap, 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 and it's done. But there are people who, which I'm always baffled with, is. Some people don't have emails or some people don't want to create email addresses. <laughs> um, and so we're like, okay, we'll send someone over there to sign with you. But the crazy thing is most of the time when we do send someone out there, the seller ends up saying, no, I don't want to sign it anymore, which is really, really weird to me. The people who actually sign it digitally are the ones who are ready to move forward. it's if- interesting. Yeah, which is really, really interesting to me.
0: So, so how do you go about... so? obviously, you know, if people are skeptical, you're, you're not there, you can't go and meet them. And you don't, like you said, have a presence in mm-hmm. those areas. How do you go about making people feel comfortable? So they feel like this is a legitimate business. This gentleman is going to close, etc.
1: Yeah. So we kind of show them, Hey, look at all the properties that we've closed on in the past we have a strong network of investors that we always work with and if we can't find a solution for you here we literally tell them okay we can try ahead and go do a b c and then plan d is here as well so we kind of show them our plan of action and so every step of the way they're they're always informed they know exactly what's going to happen they know exactly what's going to go on and then if we can't sell it doing all that, then I, I think it's just going to be a difficult property to sell in general anyway. So we do whatever we can uh, to assure them that we'll do everything in our power to go ahead and sell up, uh, you know, sell the property for them. But again, you never know what's going to happen, but we do whatever we can to make that happen for them.
0: Talk to me about like contracts and the closing process there, because in New York, so uh, a big issue for, I, I work with some excellent, excellent wholesalers to your mm-hmm. point. Um, there's not a lot of great wholesalers out there and, and the ones that aren't give a bad name to the ones that are very good. Yeah. But, um, and I guess that's like, that's in every business, Mm -hmm. but in New York, you really have to like, if you're going to go under contract with somebody, you have to put down real money. Like most attorneys are very difficult. It's like at a bare minimum, um, $10,000. A lot of them are looking for 10%. So a lot of the people that are wholesaling properties, myself included, which I'll do every once in a while Mm. are people that are doing a lot of deals, but then have overflow and will pass, you know, one or two or 10 or whatever off. Um, but it's difficult. It's, you have to be represented by an attorney. You have to title takes time. You Mm. can't close super fast and it requires real money. So how is that? Is that, is it like that in California also? So, in
1: California, I'm sure it's very, very slow. I'm sure it's a very slow pr- process. For me, because we're in the Midwest, I think it's a little bit different. So, when we get something under contract, yes, the earnest money is about $500. That's kind of the average of what oh, we Jesus. agree with, with the sellers. It's completely different. Awesome. It's not, yeah, it's not $10,000. <laughs> I mean, $10,000, I feel like it's something that you put in, in an apartment building in the Midwest as earnest money. <laughs> So that's kind of that's kind of how things work there. And also with the five hundred dollar earnest money deposit, we also have an inspection period in our contract. So we have, let's say, a 20 to 30 day inspection period and say something like, Hey, you know, if we notice anything wrong while we're doing an inspection, we always have the option to back out of the contract and we'll get our earnest money back. So there's really no risk for us there in, in case that you know things don't go well. So that's something that we always have as well. Um, and then closing usually takes about thirty days from when we get it under contract. So we get okay. the property under contract, and then it takes about a week or two to get the inspection and all the marketing materials completed. Once those are completed, then we have another two weeks to go ahead and sell the properties.
0: That's awesome. So, talk to me about talk to me about your your um, your marketing process because that's like people are out there and they're like. We're looking for deals we're looking for deals we're looking for deals and i always tell people like listen there's nothing like charles how do you do all these deals in in such a tough market i'm like there's nothing different than what i do versus how coke sells coke pepsi sells pepsi best buy sells tvs it's just about doing 30 or 40 different things consistently well all the time and and it happens so i'm just curious to know and i'm sure everybody watching is curious to know just a little bit about your marketing whatever you're willing to disclose in regards to cold calling or mailers or i've, I've watched some of your TikTok videos mm-hmm. which are very cool where you talk about um you know pixels and and you know and basically what is it like retargeting off of of facebook yeah. and you're um you know you're very very sharp guy you're young and you grew up in that era i'm 41 so i'm like i'm trying to get it but i didn't grow up with it in the same way but it's it's, it's very fascinating stuff and it's very inexpensively you can really really badger the hell out of people in, in, yeah, a, in a good really way.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I think for me, the most important thing for me is systems and processes, because mm-hmm. without the systems and processes, I don't think I could scale my team. So we started with, you know, just me and two other guys. And then now we have a team of about 16 people in our team. Right. So it has grown a decent amount from when we first started a year and nine months ago. And so we wouldn't have been able to get there without the system and process. So kind of how our entire thing works is for acquisitions, we do anything and everything. So you can name it like postcards, cold calling. I think everyone who's doing acquisitions in real estate does essentially the same thing. They're just really, really consistent with it. And I feel like everyone is sending consistent amounts of either messages or cold calls or postcards to get those deals. Uh, under contract. And then from there, once you get them under contract. Oh yeah. I also mentioned doing some digital ads as well. So it's because I ran a business, a marketing business before. And so I was very familiar with running Facebook ads and whatnot. So we do run them time to time. They can get expensive. So sometimes they'll produce really good leads. Sometimes they don't, it's kind of a hit or miss, but we still try everything. And then From there, once we get something under contract and that's when we move it to our marketing materials for our investors. So, Like I mentioned with you, we go ahead and do inspections. We cover that inspection cost so that our investors don't have to, you know, so they don't have to pay three, four 500 bucks for the inspection. We'll cover it. We'll pay for it. It's totally cool. The reason we do that too, is because if the property is tenanted, we really only have one shot to go in and you know, other people are like, Hey, I want to go in at this time. I want to go in at this time. It's like, well we're going to go in with our inspector. Then are you good with the inspection report? Once we get it, a lot of people say, yeah, I'm ready to go. If I see the inspection report and pictures and walk video, I'm good. And so that's when we're like, okay, we'll just go ahead and do the inspection for them. We'll pay for it. And then it'll serve as marketing material for us. And then from there, we also have a lot of investors in you know, California, New York, Chicago, expensive areas. So that's when we're like, Hey, uh, if you need introduction to property management companies, contractors, insurance companies, um, and even like a hard money lender, you can reach out to us and we'll go ahead and introduce you to them once we're under contract. So then you have the boots on the ground that we do. That way, they're kind of at peace of mind with the property that they're going to purchase a thousand miles away. Um, And they have all the tools that they need to go and make that property successful.
0: Not very smart. What would you say is your number one means, uh, of acquiring properties? The, 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 is it, is it cold calling? Is it, what do you think performs the best for you in those markets?
1: I would say a mixture of cold calling and some text messages are the best. Uh, I know with the 10 DLC thing and a lot of uh, the carriers kind of cracking down on text messages, it's going to get a little tougher for sure. Um, and I think they're going to crack down on that more and more. So yeah, I have to. You might have to pivot depending on what happens there. But we're always ready to go ahead and try new things and pivot when, when
0: problems arise. So. Are you users a lot, utilizing a lot of like um, virtual assistants for calling, just general tasks and everything? Is, is everything outsourced like that? Similar yeah. to Antoine?
1: Yeah, we have uh, about eight full-time employees or virtual assistants. Uh, I like to call them employees just because I think they're a part of our team and everything. So for them, uh, they uh, work full-time working on acquisitions, cold calling and text messages and others as well, like postcards and whatnot. So
0: So Mm -hmm. talk to me about the process of building that team, because it's not, you know, I've dealt with, um, you know, virtual assistants in in the Philippines and Colombia, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it's not, um, it's not always easy to get the right group of people. Like uh, they, when you talk to them, they always say, okay, they, you know, they have training, cultural training, they understand it, but a lot of times they really don't. A lot of times it's Mm -hmm. communication barriers, or especially if you're in a market like New York, it's very aggressive. You have to be like comfortable. You have to be charismatic. You have to be like tough to break through, because people will just hang up. I don't know if it's like that you know, in the Midwest, if people are a little bit easier to deal with, but what was the vetting process of you building out that aspect of your team?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it is similar to New York in those markets where a seller will literally just hang up if they don't like the other person. So it is very important to be meticulous and thoughtful about the phone calls that you make with those kind of people. For us, the way I started it was, we I initially started cold calling alone, but that didn't last very long. I I had a W two job at that time, so I wouldn't be able to call you know yeah. after work. Everyone's about to go sleep. Everyone's tired after work. They don't want to get called at that time. So I couldn't call during the day. And what we did was we hired people on Upwork. We hired several you know virtual assistants. I think we hired like eight or ten off the bat because I had experience working with them. But I recorded everything that I did and all the scripts that I wanted to have done. Yeah. So it literally had a templated script and kind of answered to questions that I, re- I usually get, some negotiation tips and whatnot, laid it all out. And then we gave it to 10 people and we said, okay, try to get some deals. And usually out of the 10, you'll see like one or two shining stars. And those are the people that we kept. And the other eight people, we just had two. You know kind of end our relationship with those people. But the other two that we kept, we actually have one of them uh still to this day that work for us uh since the very beginning and he's been with us for a year and nine months now. Um and he's been crushing it, getting deals on for us and on a consistent basis. So
0: so what kind of uh like so I guess what kind of training period do you usually give them? Like do you you say hey, listen we're gonna give you a three month trial period, a six week trial period you know, and, and what is the training like for them? Like, do you just, the videos very smart, even the videos, but are you constantly talking to them on a daily basis, reviewing things, driving home points? What is, what is the training like and how much time do you give them before you say this, this isn't for you?
1: Yeah. So we give them basic, basic training, like, Hey, this is how you go ahead. These are the questions that you need to go ahead and ask the seller. These are the, uh, some of the information that you need to go ahead and gather and, A lot of times they'll come back and be like, Hey, how do I answer this? How do I answer this? And so we do have a manager that we hired that. Does say, Hey, you should go ahead and respond to this. You have to go respond to this. But my partner who's more on the acquisition side, he does jump in as well and kind of gives him tips on how to go ahead and respond to these people. So it is still somewhat of an involved process, but once you do it over and over and over again, usually within 30 to 60 days, these, these virtual assistants or our employees they're really good to go uh, they know how to respond to people now they know how conversations usually go it's usually go and it's just repetition it's kind of like going to the gym you know the more you do reps the stronger and closer to the goal you'll get and i think a lot of our acquisitions guys are motivated because they do get a bonus when they get something under contract and it's really yeah. good for them too so
0: no it makes sense do you um Do you use any states, do you blend in any stateside callers? Like I know guys that kind of have like a mix. So they'll have, you know, 10, 15, 20 people calling from overseas. And then they'll have like five in-house just trained killers that are making a lot more money. But they'll either, they'll set it up where like the the virtual assistant callers Mm -hmm. are just, they're more vetting to make sure people own the properties that they're willing to sell. And then they'll upload that information to the CRM. And then the in-house stateside people will really start you know hammering and reaching out and, and closing the deals do you do you have a mix or is everybody overseas
1: everyone's overseas uh, everyone in our acquisitions team is pretty much overseas and they actually have the power to send the contract so i give them okay to send the contracts out and they're they're really the ones negotiating the price and sending the contracts out i look wow. over it and i'm like yeah that price is good let's go ahead and sign it and, and we are getting so many deals right now that we're actually trying to catch up on the sales side because it's like, wow, we got like four properties on, you know, Friday, we need to go ahead and complete all the marketing materials. And it's, it's hard to catch up to all that. We have 50 properties uh right now in our CRM. I think 10 of them are about to sell. And then we have another,
0: you know, Wow. That's so awesome, that. man. Yeah. So great. with real estate being so situational in the sense that location matters, well, Location matters. School district matters. Condition matters. How how do you, like how do these cold callers go about figuring out what the appropriate offer price is, and how accurate are they in the long term?
1: So we have a system in our CRM. So they answer all these questions. We get all these questions answered from the sellers, uh, and then they'll go ahead and input all that information. And then we give them a range of, you know, you can offer up to this much from this much. And so they have a range of what they can work with and it'll literally spit out a number for them. So we made it really, really easy for our virtual assistants to really just make an offer right on the spot using our CRM.
0: But how, and how accurate has that proven to be? Only because I feel like if I go look at five different houses, every single house is 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 totally different so this is like fascinating yeah yeah It's, it's so so we have
1: certain levels so first we collect all that information and then it does give us a range but before we give any sort of offer we do a secondary check and we're like okay is the arv correct and is every you know is the number of bed and bath correct and so we kind of do a secondary review of all those information and once we've updated all that then we have another updated maximum offer range Got it. and from there we go ahead and place an offer but it's been quite accurate so far i think there always is a way to you know make it better but for us it's been quite accurate enough that you know our properties are selling and it is moving forward so it's going quite well so far
0: how many renegotiations do you have after the inspection? It depends. So
1: uh, you know, once we do the inspection and there's literally nothing that the inspector finds, then obviously there is no point of us doing a price reduction or asking for one. Um, and if we if our investors also went in with our inspectors and they thought the same too and they're good to go with that number, that's fine with me. We'll just go ahead and close. Everyone's happy, it's a win-win deal. But there are times when we walk in the property, it's like oh my God, how, how, <laughs>
0: how,
1: do you, how do you let a property get that bad? So in those cases, yeah, then we'll have to be like, okay, you're never gonna get you know 80,000 for this home. It's gonna have to be like 60. And uh, so that's when we go ahead and do those reductions. And you know, the inspection reports that we actually get back, those are really, really helpful for us too, because then we have something to go back with and we're like, hey, Mr. Seller or Mrs. Seller, um, We see that there's about twenty five thousand dollars worth of work. You can see our certified inspector gave that we need a price reduction here. And so that's really powerful there as well.
0: So do you have a sweet spot of. In regards to like what you guys are paying for houses, like do you tend to like for me, I'll do primarily first time home buyer market. So in New York and Long Island, that means NASA County houses that sell for under six seventy five in Suffolk County, it's like five fifty or less. So, do you find that you guys stick for a certain niche houses, and you just you know them, you know the areas, and it's easy for you to kind of crank it out, or are you all over the map?
1: Uh, we're quite spread out on the map, I would say, because we have so many investors and we have so many different types of investors. So, like some institutional buyers, you know, those institutional buyers, they're very specific about what they buy. They're like, I don't buy over. This street here, or there's a railroad here and across that we're not going to buy anything, even though the numbers all work out, even though it's a three bed, two bath, you're built this after 1950, even all those conditions that they just won't buy it because it's over another street and so. We have other investors though that will go ahead and be like, oh, I don't care if it's across a railroad. I'm, i I, would want to buy that property. It's a good deal. Uh, the numbers make sense, and I want to move forward with it. So, because we have so many different types of investors, we cater to, we try to cater to almost all of them. For example, like a fixed and flipper and a buy and hold investor is completely different. A buy and hold invest, buy and hold investor is never gonna buy something that's 20k and needs 40k of rehab. They're just, you know, never going to want to do that. But a fix and flipper, that's a dream for them. And they can sell it for 100 k and make 40 k profit. So it really depends. Uh, so we're kind of all over the map, but we do take in consideration what the investors are looking for. We put that in our CRM and we try to find properties that will fit those criteria for our investors.
0: So talk about your uh, your journey with the CRM. So I, um, I'm i now <laughs> implementing a CRM, or I have been, and the build out, I mean, even oh, though- yeah. Ah, oh, bro, it's, it's it's brutal. I mean, the best thing I did, and it's not even a hundred percent done. I don't think it ever will be. Is um, I hired an intern first. I hired a company to build it out. It was an absolute nightmare. Oh, Fired yeah. them, and then I hired a computer science intern for the mm-hmm. summer, uh, and he was amazing. But it's it's a lot of work. Like these canned products that they tell you are like set up and ready to go are not.
1: It's no joke. Yeah, it's absolutely no joke. We started. With the CRM. So we started with Podio in the beginning. Okay, we yeah. Quickly, we quickly learned that it wasn't for us. We didn't yeah, really yeah. like it. So we moved on to Zoho CRM, and that's, that's what, what we I moved. have. Oh, is that what you used? Yeah, that's yeah, what we yeah, 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 yeah. It's no joke. That thing is so difficult, but it's so worth it once it's built out. Yes. So it took us we're still making changes on it we're still adding things to it we're still making things better but it's I think it's it's never going to stop I think it's never, never going to be a consistent always thing that you always implement but it's the most important thing in our business if I don't have the CRM there is no way in hell I'll be able to go ahead and manage these
0: 50 properties No, with that without a that yeah it's a constantly evolving now do you are you guys actually making the tweaks and changes to the CRM in-house or do you have somebody who's doing it for you Yeah, so
1: we actually did everything in house. We temporarily did try to hire someone for a specific thing in the CRM, just did not work out.
0: Yeah.
1: They need to understand the entire business for them to actually build out the CRM. And, you know, quite frankly, that's just not going to happen unless you pay tens and thousands of dollars. So for us, we're like, okay, let's just build it out on our own. And also, my partner is a software guy. So he, creates all the automations and workflows that are possibly needed. And then I just sit there saying, Hey, I think we should implement this. And this is how the system works. And so we kind of build it out together, but he's really doing all the software side.
0: So talk to me about just partnerships in general and how you manage it. It's like, I've, I've never had a partner for me. It's just, it's difficult and partnerships can be either amazing things Mm -hmm. or they could just be absolutely horrible things. I think it has to be, you know, the real right mix of people. Yeah. So is, you just t- talk to me in general about like partnerships, if you have, cause a lot of people come to me like, oh, I have a partner, I want a partner. It seems like your partnership has worked out very, very well. And you guys kind of have this good yin and yang type of thing going. Yeah. Um, any advice for, you know, newer investors or investors that are looking to partner?
1: Every single one of the partners that I've had, I've done something with them prior. So whether it be a small little thing that I worked on, for example, in college, that's where I met both of my partners actually. Um, I would sell, you know, little things on eBay and Amazon, and then I would work with both of my partners on those things. And from there, you really get to understand, OK, this is someone that I can work on continuously in any business that I do. And it really starts off small and you start building a trust. And now I can't see myself doing other things without those partnerships with them just because they're so good at what I'm not good at that makes sense. I think it's yeah, a really good. good fit because I'm not a software guy. I I did com- minor in computer science, but I understand very, very little. I mean, it's such a difficult concept to understand, yeah, but right. he can code. He encoded our entire website and he built automations for our, uh, our CRM. And that's just something that I wouldn't have been able to do on my own. And if I did, I would have to spend a lot of money to do that. And it is with someone I trust as well. And so I think it's very very important for anyone going into partnerships to just start with a small project first. I wouldn't do like a huge flip together. Maybe just something small to partner on. Maybe it's a a joint venture, a wholesale deal, or maybe it's a, a even just a little side project. Maybe you come up with a blog article together or something, but you can see how each person works and from there you can be like, "Okay, that person is it that person is great for me." I think we're a great fit. We have the same goals and the same visions and we are aligned on what's the most important thing. And then from there I think it can grow that partnership and doing more and more things with that person.
0: Very smart, bro. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, I want to talk about social media, your social media presence, you know, uh, how how you feel it's impacted your business, what are you looking to do with it because you're you're very active. I mm-hmm. see you on on IG, on TikTok. I haven't looked on the other platforms but I assume that you are. Uh, Talk about your general social media strategy, what you're looking to do with it and uh, how it's impacted your business.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So initially I was more invested in Instagram way before TikTok became like a big thing. I, I was invested in Instagram and I would always just post what I do, what kind of my journey is and how I'm doing things so that I can kind of document everything that I do. And if anyone else wanted to see what I did or if anyone wanted to kind of follow the path that I chose, Uh, they can go ahead and do so and so for me it's all about just creating value and sharing my journey with everyone Uh, that's the most important thing for me and at the end of the day if i can bring value to people that is enough and for me the more value i give it always ends up being that i get more value paid back to me so a lot of the investors that we have also uh, on our site came from my instagram page as well and i have very very close relationships with them many of them have bought properties from us and they've bought time and time again as well which i really really appreciate and that kind of business relationship is just tough to make on an email or you know if they don't see you you know creating content day in and day out i think it's just hard to build that trust but because i do i'm able to build trust with a lot of people um, and so Instagram is where I initially started. And then I moved on to TikTok. First, it was kind of like a joke. I was like, oh, it's TikTok. Let's see
0: what happens. <laughs> I saw the potential, which- Oh, it's crazy. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. It's like, yeah. you'll get one that'll take off. And it's like 400,000 views. You're like, yeah. And then the next three, you get like 30 views. And you're like, what
1: happened here? It's very, very it's frustrating. frustrating. It's very inconsistent. So TikTok, I would say it's a great platform for you to kind of skyrocket yeah. uh, if you want to and, and kind of bring your followers from TikTok and channel them into you know, like Instagram or channel them into YouTube. So I think it's a great lead funnel. I think it's a great start to grow your following as much as possible and then kind of divert diverge them into different channels. So that's how I see TikTok yeah. and that's why I put so much effort there, but instagram and facebook and all those they're very consistent so anytime i post something on a reel or something i know i can guarantee i'm going to get you know 2,000 views on my videos every single time i'm going to get this consistent views and so i think that's just the nature of how things work there but i am putting a lot of emphasis on tiktok for the growth and then i'm going to use that to then push people into Instagram and that way, uh, I can kind of diversify my social media portfolio. That's kind of how I look at it.
0: So a lot of people in every business, uh, Mm -hmm. struggle to come up with content ideas. Yeah. How do you come up with content ideas and, and what frequency are you posting?
1: I post once a day. I, I, always want to post more. I know people say like, if you post three to five times a day, obviously you have a higher chance of getting your content blow up, uh, by three to five times, if you do post three to five times a day. But for me, there's, it's just a little bit too much. I think that's a little bit more than what I'm comfortable doing. So I post once a day, uh, and from there, the content does become very, very difficult to come up with. (laughs) A lot of times I'm like, okay, I don't want to say the same thing, but I have to. Uh, And so what I do a lot of times when I do get confused about the content, or if I get a little bit worried that it's the same content, I will look at other creators and other people who post content. And I will kind of use that as a base and foundation. I'm like, I haven't done that before. Let me try that. Or I would look at the trends that are going on TikTok, which always changes. And I'll try to jump on that trend and come up with content that I've already made in the past, but with a different spin. So,
0: yeah, it's a lot of work, man. It's like, I kind of, so I I started doing it on my own and then I hired somebody and I worked with a half a day a week and Mm -hmm. then I hired somebody full-time to work with me. And now I have three people back there cranking out content all day. Yeah, we... But it's it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot it's a lot of work. <laughs> but the impact is huge. Like today, I was out I was out east looking at a property um, mm-hmm. that a gentleman hit me. I said, like, "Hey, how'd you hear about me?" He Goes, "Oh, I follow you on Instagram." Oh, and now I have the opportunity to buy a, buy a property. So it's just it goes back to what you were saying before. You have to be doing all these different things consistently well all the time. Um, We had a question come in in regards to partnership structure. Uh, Judy Nunez is curious to know, do you have everyone you partner on a deal with have an attorney draw up a joint venture agreement, or do you just kind of go off a handshake?
1: So, yeah, we do have like a partnership agreement. So when we formed the LLC, they're part of the LLC, actually, when we formed the partnership. So everyone's kind of an owner of the LLC. And in that LLC documentation, that's kind of where all the, dog mean you know, all the words are written out um but for me personally as long as I trust that person I honestly don't really mind what's in the the document I mean it's always always good to have an attorney drafted just because uh you don't know what's going to happen but for me I trust the partners that I'm working with in rocket offer so much to a point where I really don't care whether it's there or not but in any other partnerships i would i would 100 make sure that there is something written up with an attorney otherwise you might get screwed at the end it's just because i've known them since college i've known them for a long time i think it's always good to have that kind of documentation and a second review from an attorney but for me i personally trust them enough where i wouldn't need it if i didn't have to but we do have it
0: no very smart very good advice um last question is you're you're a very young guy you you're doing very well it seems you've been involved in a lot of different businesses at a very mm-hmm. young age what um you know what are your ultimate goals five ten years down the road what's the uh, the game plan
1: yeah so for me i want to grow this company as big as i possibly can we want to make this a nationwide company i want to be doing like a hundred deals per month and more uh and then from there, I definitely personally want to grow my rental portfolios personally as well. I think it's always just fun to have rental properties. I I, I just love real estate in general. And at the end of the day, maybe 10 years from now, I don't know what's going to happen with the company. Um, I would want to keep it for the long-term as much as I possibly can and, and grow my team and grow the company as much as I can. But from there, I think it's going to lead to a lot of other opportunities where I might be like, Hey, why don't we start, you know, a software business that is related to real estate yeah, that we want to go into because we, I'm already seeing it right now where real estate is kind of an old industry. I would say it hasn't been developed in a while. And so yep. 100%. You're seeing, yeah, you're seeing a lot of software companies come up and it's very, very valuable in the real estate space. And right now, I mean, one of the biggest companies in real estate zillow they're using their data to leverage a lot of you know deals and i know they're trying to fix and flip a lot of properties they have all the data to do it and, and that data becomes really really important so you know maybe in the future we'll do something software related but as of right now i just want i just want to focus on my company and grow it as much as i can and from there we'll see um how things go but i do want to give back too so I know like 30, 40 years from now, maybe I do want to go back to like university or, you know, even high schools and kind of teach financial literacy because they don't teach you this stuff in school.
0: Nah, nothing, man. Nothing. Yeah.
1: So that's my goal too. I want to give back. I want to, I want to show people, but I want to do it first too. I want to show people that if I can do it, anyone can do it. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Uh, I never think I am. I always like to surround myself with smarter people like you, Charles, and then, you know, learn from uh, everyone else. So. If I can do it, anyone else can do it. That's just what I want to show this world.
0: I love it, man. Listen, I appreciate you taking the time. You have a great attitude, super sharp guy. It's awesome to see the success. Uh, I recommend that people follow you. There's a lot of great content on there. I was watching just a few minutes before the podcast started. If people are interested in working with you, meaning they're invested, looking to purchase in the areas that you currently work or possibly would in the future, or just following to learn bits and pieces to get into it, how do they find you on the different platforms?
1: Yeah. If you want to ask me any questions about the properties that we have, or just wanted to go into real estate in general, feel free to send me a message. I believe on Instagram, I think that'll be the easiest way for you to reach out. And then if you want to see some of my content on TikTok, where I go through some basic content on how to get started in real estate, how to buy a first property, how I got started. I think that's kind of where uh, the most value would be if you're trying to consume content. But if you're trying to reach out to me directly, Instagram would be a good place where you can reach out to me and I can always help you there as well.
0: Beautiful. Love it. Obviously I'm the handsome home buyer. If you're in New York, you know, if you have a house that smells like cat pee is dated for the 1960s, six inches of mold on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps, you know, quick, easy, always a good time. I want to buy it. 516 sold That's a wrap.